So real quick, as you may know, our theme for May is food trends. And you may have already listened, but there's a podcast on the playlist that talks about using crickets as a sustainable and environmentally friendly alternative source of protein. Yeah, crickets, I know. This is not new, but it's new to the West, and it's pretty promising, you guys. Compared to beef, it has three times the protein, uses 15 times less water, and produces 2,000 times less methane gas. And crickets don't just use substantially less water than beef. They also use less water than whey, lentils, soy, and eggs. Not to mention that it's got all the amino acids that come with an animal protein, plus tons more calcium and iron than other sources of meat. I know you're wondering about the taste. So it's not super buggy, and it doesn't really taste like much. If anything, it's just got a slightly nutty flavor. So if you want to give this whole thing a shot, Chirps, a company that was on Shark Tank and got a deal with Mark Cuban, is giving us 15% off an entire order. They have chips made with cricket flour, protein powder, and even a cookie mix. And they're sending 10 lucky chapters a sample to try out at their next meeting. So go to eatchirps.com and use the coupon code CHIRPS for breakfast. That's C H I R P S, the number four breakfast, and you'll get 15% off your order. Give it a shot. Bug appetit. Hi, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. Podcast Brunch Club is like book club, but for podcasts. And this month, the theme of the listening list was food trends. We included five episodes on the podcast playlist, which you can find at podcastbrunchclub.com slash food trends. And we listened to an episode of Why We Eat What We Eat. And I'm here with Kathy Irway, the host of the podcast. Welcome, Kathy. Hey, Adela. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to be on my podcast. It's so fun to to get to hear what everybody's working on and, and get to actually connect with the people that we're listening to. So thank you. It's so much fun to be on the other end, I have to say. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's actually a great segue because I have done my due diligence. I've done a little digging into what you've worked on and what you're working on. And like, oh my gosh, you are a busy lady. So um Tell us a little bit about what you've done in the past. I know you've got a couple books out. I know you have a couple mm-hmm. podcasts. You're doing tons of stuff. You've got a blog. So just give us the scoop. Yeah. So I started a blog in 20, 2006. I want to say 20, but it was actually back when we <laughs> said 2000 something. Yeah. Um, it's called Not Eating Out in New York. It's a food blog. And, you know, this is in the day of like, you know, blogs were like disrupting media. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were, we were like a kind of tight knit group. And um, lo and behold, I got a book deal that uh-huh. was approached to me. And um, I wrote a memoir about so my blog was about not going to restaurants for two years. It was definitely like a sort of personal journey. And I wrote a, a memoir about that personal journey of not going to restaurants for two years called The Art of Eating In. And um, at the same time, I started um, a podcast on Heritage Radio Network, which is a small, now it's a nonprofit organization, but it started out as an arm of the uh, Heritage Foods USA, which is a heritage meat distributor. And it's a podcast called Eat Your Words. And it's been 10 years now in the running. And I interview a different food book author each week on it. 
Um, so, uh, I can, you know, I, I just love introducing new guests who've written a book about something related to food, whether it's a cookbook author or chef, or it's a food politics expert, agriculture mm. expert, or a memoirist, or, or sometimes it's a fiction writer whose book has to do with food. And so that's been just like a sort of, uh, passion of mine, a, a routine of mine for the last 10 years. And um, then in uh, 2018, I became the host of Why We Eat What We Eat. And this is a podcast from Gimlet Creative. And that's like the sort of sponsored content brand yeah. of uh, Gimlet. And mm -hmm. uh, this show was with Blue Apron. And at first I was like, oh, it's a sponsored show with Blue Apron. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know about that. And they were like, no, no, no. We're, so our show about Gatorade is about sports fans and like sports interviews. Our show with, you know, Blue Apron, I mean, is going to be about food. And that's just right. the bottom line. And I was like, huh, you know, I, I see what you're doing. And I, I think that's a great approach. So yeah. we, we created this uh, amazing, you know, one season only, but it was a, a great podcast about why we eat what we eat. And that was a thesis. And yeah. And so... Fast forward to right now, I just launched last week a new podcast about um, Asian American stories. It's a narrative podcast called Self-Evident, and it's all about sharing um, sort of like the Asian American version of this is, uh, oh, sorry, this American life. Okay. And uh, cool. yeah, so our first episode just dropped last Tuesday. Great. I will definitely include a link to that in the show notes. Cool. Um, so... I want to go back to the whole, like, w why did you start a blog to begin with? Were you a foodie in the beginning or were you um, just sick of eating out? Like, what yeah. was the impetus yeah. for all of that? It was like a different world back then in terms of media where, like, if you're a food writer, it mm -hmm. meant that you were, like, a restaurant critic of some sort. And mm -hmm. I really wanted to connect with, like, home cooking, even in an unlikely place and time for that, which was New York City in the mm -hmm. early aughts. And I felt like everything regarding food in the media was about chasing after the next coolest place to eat, which, you know, mm -hmm. is great. And that's definitely like a huge part of food writing. And mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful, but I, I, I just wanted to get it, but get back to, into the kitchen myself personally. Mm -hmm. I missed that. And I think there's just so much to explore when you're cooking mm -hmm. for yourself and exploring your heritage really too. So that really led me to, cook more from like my mom's heritage. She's from Taiwan. And I ultimately ended up writing a cookbook about the food of Taiwan. And um, yeah, and also discovering all the great benefits to cooking, like not the least of which is saving money <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, being healthy and being more thoughtful about your buying. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the idea of not eating out, like did you for two years really not eat out or was it like more well in like, the book i do highlight like the couple of slips that happen mm -hmm. you know like a drunken yeah. pizza ex <laughs> like you know yeah. excursion and um like a, a lapse here in judgment um so there were like two times i think that are highlighted in the book and that's really like the the truth because yeah yeah, I think you can get used to anything. And nowadays, if you're like into a certain diet, like you can stick with it. And we've seen like parallels. Like if you, if you really are celiac, or if you really are keto or something, mm -hmm. you can stick with a certain diet. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so I just made that a, like a personal weird quest. I didn't mean it to be two years. I just, after one year, I was like, you know what? This is fine for me. It's working. Mm-hmm. I adapted and mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going. And I mean, so part of for me, and I think for some of the listeners, it might be like the idea of not eating out because eating out is such a social experience. It's mm-hmm. almost always included in some, you know, like, I, I don't often go out to dinner by myself. I go out to dinner because yeah. I'm like meeting up with friends and that's the thing you do. Right. So like, how did you, how did you kind of get around that? Well, I sort of like flipped it on its head and totally unexpectedly. Cause I thought that maybe like, it'd be funny if like I failed in like the first two months and like mm-hmm. had to like go to somebody's birthday party. But um, how it worked out is that like, I ended up like throwing dinner parties or potlucks or picnics and then mm-hmm. I got really into the like amateur cookout scene or cook off scene. Sorry. And I met so many friends through that avenue that like we shared this thing in common, which was like geeking out over cooking. And then yeah. they, I like had more friends and more sort of like social activities around cooking than mm-hmm. I could even have time for to go out. And I see nowadays like going out to eat as like a special occasion to check out something that is worthwhile. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people have it the other way around. If you're used to going out as a de facto social activity, that's great. But if you just try it the other way around, then like you can treat going out as like special occasion Mm -hmm. rather than cooking as like this big, you know, to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause it is like, I can't even think like if I'm going to get together with friends, what would we do if it wasn't, if it wasn't going to a restaurant? Well, this was like my mid twenties too. So I would like, I would say bars are not, they don't count. (laughs) I would, I would go out to bars. Yeah. (laughs) Like play pool or something like that. Darts. So would you like, would you count it as slipping if like people, if you were just going to go somewhere and you weren't going to eat, but other people were going to eat and like you were just going to have drinks? Yeah. I mean, that happens, right? Yeah. 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 So like, you know, after you leave the bar, some people grab a slice and I'm like, peace out, you know? Yeah, or yeah. like you can have a slice and I'll just hang out here and yeah. chill out. Right. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to shift the focus a little bit to the episode that we featured on the playlist of your podcast. I eat everything except. Mm-hmm. Um, so this whole podcast was about picky eating and you sort of document your own, um, I guess, what's the word? Um, the Fear. The, fear and like your aversion to certain types of cheeses and then you went to a cheesemonger and you tried all these cheeses so it's been a while since you you put out that podcast episode i'm wondering if you've come around to the blue Mm -hmm. cheeses and the moldy cheese the stinky cheeses well i was always sort of like acutely aware and sort of secretive about the fact that not secretive but like Yes, I, I have this cheese problem, <laughs> like ever yeah. since I've been like a foodie or food writer. Um, and so, yeah, doing this podcast, I never expected that to come up during this podcast. It was really mm-hmm. at the, it was like an offhand remark I made during uh, an editing session. And I was pushing for the direction of the podcast to go uh, towards lamb because <laughs> I thought that lamb was a really interesting sort of case study in American eating tastes, 
you know, evolving and like people used to eat a lot more lamb than they do now. And most people, I think, hate lamb. Not most people, uh-huh. but a lot of people do. And uh-huh. that, that wasn't like a thing, you know, way back when and or even not that long ago. So I was like, okay, we need to talk to some lamb farmers and see how they're struggling to kind of keep up with the Joneses. And the editors really were like, wait, you said something weird about how you didn't like cheese. And we didn't we want to hear more about that. I was like, no, I don't want to make it about me. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But like, I will tell you that as a listener, I think it's awesome when you know, like you're a reporter, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And we get it. But like, to every so often to turn the the lens on you, Mm -hmm. it's just nice for the listener, I think, to get that perspective and get that sort of, you know, like inside look at the at the creator. You know what I mean? I I agree. I think it's really nice to like, you know, use the personality of the host more. I just, I was just so not convinced yet that it was interesting. Mm. And Mm. maybe that's just because I was just like, uh, I knew that cheese is something that is more popular and universally Universally. liked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm with you on the blue cheeses. So I I don't, I don't know if you're there, if you're still there, maybe you're, maybe you've come around, but I have not. And I will tell you, I will not do a version therapy. Like I'm (laughs) I'm just one of those people. I'm like, you know what? It's okay if I don't like it. I don't need, like, I don't need to like cheese. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one thing if it's like, I don't like vegetables and vegetables right, are good for my right. health yeah. or whatever. But like for me, to the idea of like not liking something that's not good for me anyway or like doesn't, it just doesn't, I, I have no kind of need to like force myself into it. But then again, I'm not a food writer. So no, <laughs> like I, I, I don't that. think you need to. And I, I think that it's really comes down to like, can you tolerate it? You know, do you have like a holdup? Like, I, I don't want to have a holdup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that sort of brings me to my next question about like, why do you think people are so judgy or like, (laughs) have so much shame? Like, it's either that you're judgy of other people, or you have shame about how you you eat. Like, why is that? Why do people care that I don't drink tea? Like, I'm Mm -hmm. not stopping them for from drinking tea, like they can drink tea, they can drink tea around me. But like, if, you know, I'll go to a tea store, but like, I'm not, I don't want it. I don't want to drink it. You know, so, but why, like, why are people so, it's like, it really feels like such a, a gut thing for it, us. It to, is. Like, I think in today's society, it's like, it's um, global, like multicultural emphasis. Mm. It's like, it's sophisticated to like everything. And I, I, I think that there's reasons for that. I mean, there's, there can be huge offenses when you say like, you know, something that is mm-hmm. ethnic is gross to you. Like, that's mm-hmm. not cool. Like, right. maybe you're just not familiar with it. And that's why you think right. it's gross. And it doesn't mean it's gross. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's, it's one thing to say like, oh, that thing is gross or like versus I don't, I don't want to eat that thing. Like, mm-hmm. not, yeah. not that it's gross. I just don't like, exactly. it's, just not, it's just not my thing. Um, totally. You know. Yeah, like it's funny because I think I think you're right. I think there is a level of sophistication that people mm-hmm. sort of like want to have, maybe, mm-hmm. and then there's sh- maybe shame around that. Um, 
And then, but like little kids, you know, like I was at my, uh, my brother's the other day and my niece, who's three, was like, ew, gross, you know, whatever. She was pointing at some food. And we were like, that is not, you know, like there's a little bit of education around that, you know, in terms of saying like, that's not okay for you to say that about somebody else's food because we're eating it. Right. But if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. You totally. Know? Yeah. I think that that's like a nice like comparison is like, you know, as, as long as you don't put down other people's enjoyment, then mm-hmm. yeah, you can dislike something personally sure. with, with yeah. some information, like it with some experience, let's say. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, so being a foodie as you are, did you have any preconceived notions about picky eaters before you did the podcast or did anything change after you did the episode? Because you did a, a little bit of research on, you know, you talked to some experts yeah. on, you know, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that what we learned is like basically the main takeaway is that everything is just a matter of experience and exposure. So you can get used to anything and that's how we're conditioned. It's like really coming from childhood. A lot of people never re, you know, think their childhood tastes and they Mm -hmm. don't need to. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and they have this like preconceived notion and apparently it starts in the womb. (laughs) So that's Mm -hmm. one thing we learned too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, you can't really blame, uh, you can't really blame society for like the foods that are common and popular in your society. But if you feel like it, you can always change it. And it's, it's very simple to do. You just condition yourself to eat more of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, so the final question I have for you about like the topic of food trends, and then we're going to go into something else that I want to ask you about. But um, on the topic of food trends, do you have do you have any insight into like any upcoming trends we should keep an keep an eye out for? Like we listen to episodes about like crickets and and CBD oil oh. and how that's going into everything now. But like, is there anything on the horizon that you might know about that we should keep an eye out for? Well, I get too many pitches about CBD things. So it's like, Mm. oh, but, um, yeah, well, one thing I think is really interesting is, um, a lot of things that are normal to Asian cultures are becoming more, I guess, normalized in Mm -hmm. American culture. Um, I would mention seaweed because I think that Mm. this is one ingredient that has been seen as icky, slimy, (laughs) and, Mm. um, weird but actually seaweed farming in america is is moving at an interesting level because it's all about um a very sustainable like i'm talking like uh like a win-win for environmental factors Uh, it's Mm -hmm. extremely like um it's extremely advantageous and beneficial to grow seaweed and you know you got to eat it though so i think mm. that you know i have a i have a couple of friends who are working on seaweed farms and their struggle is to get people to like want to eat it mm. <laughs> so i think that it's it's so um people think of seaweed as one thing but it's like so many like forms it takes on yeah and you know there's the same could be said for so many other foods too though um yeah I mean, yeah, grains, all sorts, you know, or like wheat, like you turn it into anything. Soy milk or Um, something. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting what you said about like Asian, Asian foods becoming a little bit more normalized here in the West, because like that is something that I think is true of insects too. Yeah. I agree. Um, You know, we listened to an episode about you know, using crickets. But Mm -hmm. when I was in Cambodia years and years ago, like one of the street 
cart vendors had like a sh- smorgasbord oh, of I'm like totally... all sorts of yeah. in- insects, like not just crickets. It was like giant tarantulas and like, and that's like a fun street food, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I've had that in Thailand too. It's like, it's not like an everyday food in every place, but it's like a fun little, like, you know, specialty um, mm-hmm. of certain street vendors. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so one thing that I'm thinking of as you talk about Taiwan is that I've heard about like this whole like cheese tea craze mm. and I looked <laughs> into it and it's not an old food. Like this no. is something that newly invented, Absolutely. but people are like loving it. Yeah. So do, have you, I haven't, I haven't tried it. I'm not into tea, but I don't think it has anything to do with tea. So well, I'm I mean, not, it, I'm not. it stems from like, just like the beverage craze, which is, you know, it includes bubble tea, yeah. pudding tea, other sort of things in your tea that are like awesome and cool. And like, it's a very young sort of mm. genre. And it, it's like, sort of like a street food genre. It's something mm-hmm. that you would see in college campuses around America and also in Taiwan, you'd see it at like, you know, college night, college area night markets. Mm. Um, the cheese powder is fairly new, but it is like used as a baking ingredient when I was, mm. yeah, like, so some, some like pastries to give it a little savory edge, they will add some like dehydrated cheese powder. And I've noticed That's that. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's something that I, it doesn't really seem to translate here. I've never seen that done here. Um, and then somebody decided to put it in tea to give it, again, a savory edge. And mm-hmm. uh, it took off. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, so before we wrap up, I want to ask you the question that I ask all of our guests. And um, just to give you a little background, uh, Podcast Munch Club is like book club, for, but for podcasts. So we always talk about the playlist, but then inevitably sort of go off on a tangent and talk about whatever else we're listening to when we trade recommendations. So my question for you is, do you have a podcast recommendation for the community? Um, I already said this, but I will say this as long as well as another podcast, but, um, self-evident we just launched, um, it's an Asian American themed narrative podcast about Mm -hmm. lives and also just greater culture in America. But I would say also long distance. It is an amazing podcast hosted by Paula Mardo and, uh, she's a Filipina American and she, um, it, it, it's like a wonderful podcast about bridging the roots of uh, Filipino Americans with like their present day reality. And I think it's, it's a great um, podcast, not just for Filipino Americans, but for anyone to kind of just like dig into stories. Um, cool. Yeah. We love story podcasts. Yeah. So those, those always go over well mm-hmm. with our group. So um, I will add those both to the show notes as well. And um, lastly, just, let us know where we can find you, Twitter, Instagram, sure. website, all that. So yeah. my hash, I mean, my account, handle, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's called, is uh, Kathy Irway, C-A-T-H-Y-E-R-W-A-Y on Twitter and Instagram. I also have the Food of Taiwan uh, Facebook page where I post news about Taiwanese food restaurants and other fun stuff going on. Um and I also have the blog Not Eating Out in New York, but I'm much more into Twitter than anything else. Okay. Got it. 
So I will add those handles to the web, the show notes as well. Perfect. So everybody, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really great to get a deeper perspective into what you're working on and, oh, and where you you're so going. Much. We're excited. I'm so thrilled yeah. that you decided to highlight this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. We did. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Adela. Hi, Podcast Brunch Club. A quick thanks to our organizational partners, Ven, which puts out a weekly list of hand-picked, nonpartisan political podcasts that makes it quick and simple to learn more about the big political issues surrounding the 2020 U.S. election. Critical Frequency, an all-women-owned and operated podcast network for independent creators and those who are often overlooked in mainstream media. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts that offers amazing search and list creation. Listen Notes, a powerful podcast search engine that also offers list creation. And Audioboom, a podcast network featuring funny, inspiring, entertaining, and thought-provoking podcasts. Go find these companies. They are great for both content and discovery, and they support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hey everyone, this is Steve. I'm the leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the podcast brunch club. And I'm here with some info about everyone who makes this show possible. Most importantly, please rate and review the podcast brunch club podcast on your podcast player of choice. Helps us out a lot. The music you heard today is downloaded from free music archive. The ad music is from Mazel Ghana, with their song, Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by the amazing bionic woman, Adela. Adela's co-host on the podcast is Sarah De Silva, the leader of the Houston chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club and founder of Audible Feast. Audio editing is done by me, Steven Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening! <laughs>